Hey, Bankless Nation, welcome to another State of the Nation episode where we talk about something big that is happening in crypto. This week, the news is big. This is the biggest wallet merge ever, I think. I'm calling it that. As far as we're aware, this is the biggest one ever. This is between MetaMask and MyCrypto. David, what are we talking about today? Yeah, everyone uses MetaMask. How can you not know what MetaMask is? So anytime something happens to MetaMask, it's a really, really big deal. Uh, and the veterans of the crypto industry might also have remember when they were loading up their wallets into MyCrypto to participate in like ICO drops or any other crazy shenanigans that uh, that we uh, that we did during during that era. Era. And so we have two veterans of wallet designers. Uh, we have Dan Finley and Taylor Monahan uh, coming to tell us all about what is the perhaps the biggest merger in wallet history. Uh, and so that is a story in of itself. And, and everyone kind of wants to take a peek behind the scenes of MetaMask and what they are up to, which is exactly what we are going to be doing today on today's State of the Nation. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. These two uh, wallets and user interfaces are what got me into the Ethereum space, what got me into crypto. So I'm really excited for this merger, the coming together. I don't know if it's going to be called Crypto Mask, Meta Crypto, or My Crypto Mask. We'll, we'll have to ask our guests in a minute. And if you have a question, also let us know what you want us to ask in the YouTube comments. Uh, David and I monitor those and we ask questions. Guys, a few housekeeping items before we begin. The first is we gotta let you know about the Permissionless Conference. That is a conference that I am attending, David wow. is attending. We think this is gonna be the biggest DeFi conference of the year, probably ever. Super excited about the agenda we have planned. Uh, get your tickets mm -hmm. is all I can say. Anything you wanna add to that, David? Uh, I'm absolutely stoked for this conference. The, the content calendar is coming together very, very nicely. Bankless and beers will be a thing. Uh, and so perhaps Ryan and I have this uh, chariots of fire running across the moment stage at this brewery. I don't know. <laughs> we're going to meet for the first maybe, time. Maybe we're going to meet for the first time. Maybe you guys want to attend for that. There might be a POAP. Um, but yeah, you got to come. You got to come. Got to come to the event. Yeah, go check that out, guys. We'll include a link in the show notes. Also, our friends at Zerion, while we're on the topic of, of wallets and MetaMask and, and getting into DeFi, the gateway to DeFi, want to talk a little bit about uh, Zerion. They are friends and sponsors, and uh, you might use them on the daily. If you don't, you should. I use them on a daily basis. If you connect your wallet to it, you'll notice some incredible new feature ads. One is this. This is not my wallet, by the way. But... Uh, you could click here on all networks. You could see all of the different networks your assets reside on. So this is Ethereum. This is Optimism. So layer twos. We've got Avalanche, other EVM chains. They're adding more all of the time. Also, this nifty little feature, bridging. We are in the midst of the great migration from Ethereum mainnet to layer twos, okay? And if you want to bridge your tokens, Xeron has a feature for that where you can just bridge from Ethereum to Polygon or look, Binance, uh, better yet, Optimism, Arbitrum, some other chains as well. You can make that happen at uh, Zerion. We'll include a link in the show notes so you can go check that out. Connect your wallet today. Completely bankless, by the way. No bank has control of your assets when you're using Zerion. It's just you, your private keys, and the Zerion user interface. The way we like it. That's the way we like it, right, David? Absolutely. We right, wouldn't have it any other way. Wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to be back in just a few minutes. Uh, oh, no, no. 
dude, I got to ask you the question. Yeah, you I do. forgot. Yeah, this is What's a good one. What's the state one. of the nation today, David? Ryan, I want to hear what you say. The state of the nation is alliterating. <laughs> MetaMask, <laughs> my crypto merger. So, Ryan, today on the state of the nation, we are alliterating. Uh, we don't really have to the unpack M's? that one too much. Together? All right. <laughs> yeah. There might be some depth there that David mm-hmm. uncovers in like a 10,000 word piece that he publishes on Bankless mm-hmm. later on. Or maybe there's no depth. Maybe yeah. it's just alliteration. That's what we're doing this That's week, right? Doing. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. alliterating. <laughs> Stay tuned to find out. Guys, we will be back in just a moment with uh, Taylor and Dan talking about this epic merger. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Slingshot is a decentralized trading platform that combines the performance and ease of a centralized exchange with the openness and transparency of DeFi. Slingshot aggregates liquidity from all of DeFi in order to find the best price on thousands of crypto assets. Every token on Slingshot comes with a price chart and trade logs to give you insights into the market's activity in real time. Slingshot is available on Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism, saving you from the high gas fees and low transaction speeds of the Ethereum L1. There are no fees to trade on Slingshot, and any positive slippage is given to the users. Trading on Slingshot is a social experience. You can even set your chat avatar to your favorite NFT or soon a Slingshot 2099 NFT avatar. Once you bridge your assets to Polygon, Arbitrum, or Optimism, go to app.slingshot.finance to trade and use the chat box to share your trades with others and find other tokens to ape into. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet with built-in privacy and ad blocking to keep you in charge of your digital footprint. Inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the first secure crypto wallet built natively inside of a Web3 crypto browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. The Brave wallet is different. Brave wallet is built natively inside the Brave browser, no extension required, which gives the Brave wallet an extra level of security versus other wallets. With the Brave wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap your crypto assets, and you can even manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Over 250 projects have already deployed on Arbitrum, and Arbitrum's DeFi and NFT ecosystems are growing rapidly. Arbitrum increases Ethereum speed by orders of magnitude for a fraction of the cost of the average gas fee. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of decentralization and security. If you're a developer who wants low gas fees and instant transactions for your users, visit developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building your application on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps or NFT projects building on Arbitrum. Many of your favorite apps are already live, with many more coming over soon. You can find these apps at portal.arbitrum.one, and you can bridge your assets over to Arbitrum using bridge.arbitrum.io in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be. Fast, cheap, and friction-free. All right, Bankless Nation, we are back to discuss the MetaMask My Crypto merger, the Triple M. Here we got Dan Finley, who has been building MetaMask at Consensus for like six years now, and also taught me everything I needed to know about Merkle Trees in his DevCon Zero talk, which I think happened in Seattle, which burned into his brain. That's not all that Merkle Trees can do. Uh, and we also have Taylor Monahan, who is the founder and CEO of MyCrypto, which started being everyone's first wallet during the ICO era of Ethereum, an extremely challenging time to be a wallet operator. And Taylor has taken these, uh, these veteran lessons all the way through and through Ethereum's history to where uh, we are now today which is a merger between MetaMask and MyCrypto. So Dan, Taylor, welcome to Bankless and congratulations on the guys, uh, on the merge guys. 
Yeah, thanks so much. It's been a long time coming. It, yeah, it has been a really, really long time coming and I'm excited to finally get to talk about this and uh, see what's see what's up next for us. Wait, that's some alpha. So how long have you guys been talking? Like how long, mm -hmm. uh, you said this is a long time coming. Is oh, this oh, well, always part of the plan or is this? Oh, <laughs> I meant it in two senses. I meant, <laughs> okay. I meant both like we've been like kind of building wallets alongside each other for so long that it almost, it, it almost just feels like it's kind of built up to this. And then also, yeah, we, we've been like, you know, like tossing around the idea of what this could possibly turn into for, yeah, I don't know, like, but like six months or something like, it's like, you know, fi figuring out if we could conceive of it working was like, I think the most important part. Yeah, we didn't uh, talk to anyone else about it until we were like somewhat confident in uh, the success of it. And particularly for like the teams, um, as I'm sure most people are aware, like the hardest thing about doing a merge is the people and bringing them together. Um, and so that was sort of our focus. Uh, and I do remember for timeline's sake, at one point I was like, okay, once we get through EIP 1559, then we can really talk about this. So that's how long it's been. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, one other thing that um, both of your, your your solutions, both your projects have in common is um, you're like the customer support. The front end help desk customer support for crypto. Uh, which and, I'm sorry uh, for. Yes. Uh, and Taylor, I know my crypto uh, then called my, my uh, Ether wallet was uh, so key during like 2017 ICO. I mean, it's what everyone used, what I used. And I remember reading, like basically you, you doing help desk stuff on Reddit forms for people. Like yeah. it was an incredible time. And then MetaMask, Dan, you know, no different. If there's an issue with, with my transaction didn't go through block spaces, you know, gas fees are too expensive. Where'd my money Anything go? in the front end. Yeah, it looks like Dan Dan is shuddering, like just thinking oh, yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we, have, we have some very uh, <laughs> shared trauma. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've got some like, shared trauma. Is that yeah. a unifying thing, being the, the help desk, the front customer support of Ethereum, of crypto? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would put it like, like when you go through something like that together, it's like you're bonded for life. And the people that... Uh, we're sort of on the front lines in 2017. Like those are still some of my best friends to this day. Uh, like the people like that we, you know, the fishers and the scammers came out of nowhere. Uh, that group of people that all like stood together trying to solve this problem and fix stuff. Uh, we're still all, all very close. And like in particular me and Dan, just because we're also trying to run a wallet thing and build the future of everything and keep people safe. You know, you just, you have that, that shared experience and that, I don't know, loneliness, like, <laughs> like no one understands me, but we understand each other. It's fantastic. I feel like it transforms you when you go through it. Cause like, it teaches you so much about what's, what this ecosystem is and what it's made of. And like, when you're helping these people, like there's like so many different people with so many different, you know, you thought you just taught some people at some hackathon and then suddenly, you know, it's it's a you know grandma in Kansas or you know it's like you, you know like a an artist in Lagos or you know and you're just like you're just like oh, okay how did you get into that you know or like what's your problem or like what's your you know where are you at in this journey and like understanding all the different ways people can can uh kind of like mess up and lose their money or something I think it like builds up like this like reverence like like it was it was all fun building in like 2016 2016 yeah. it was like 
Yeah, add some add some APIs, <laughs> add some features. We have like changes in the I, world, baby. I thought of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was and it was fun. And and what's funny is like you know there's like some APIs that we made that are like they were like kind of half baked. Those are those are 2016 APIs. Like you know it was easy going <laughs> times. You know the the bar was a little bit lower, but but man, yeah, it, like once once it gets real, once once you like have you know a certain there's there's like a level where people like you 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 realize like. For some people, this is their whole life, you know, and, uh, you know, like, I mean, and I, I don't, I'm not advising people put their whole life savings into crypto if they don't understand it, but some people are doing that, you know, and you got to, if you're a wallet, you should be building as if people are doing that. And uh, it, there's just this reverence for it, uh, for the process and for, for like, you know, the, the experience and like what it means to have this like digital asset manager that, uh, that I think, I think that we have a shared kind of reverence for a, a certain respect yeah. for like where the bar is at to keep users safe and uh yeah so so it's it's kind of easy i find i find that we like agree about a lot of product principle decisions like when we're talking about pretty much any you know little feature like someone's like you know oh you know you should it'd be really nice if you were you know uh <laughs> whatever and then like we, we tend to consistently you know like uh I, I don't know like auto detecting nfts is like one of those things where it's like it's really easy to want that as a user. Um, the failure modes, though, are not obvious to everyone. But for somebody who's like seen thousands and thousands of people get fished in a million different ways, you know, like, uh, yeah, like we, I, I think we just have like an eye for <laughs> the ways that it's just like, oh, oh, just constantly seeing things go wrong. And, yeah. And it's it's a rare kind of insight, and I I so so respect how much of it Taylor's got, and she she shares it liberally too. Like like I'm I'm definitely quieter on Twitter, but you know she makes it very obvious uh, and and tries to help other people see it that you know. I try, yeah, I try. I yell at people and hope that they're listening to me. So I actually want to dive into that because you guys, Dan, you talked about the alignment between the the building the ethos of both of your guys' wallets, uh, and so I, I want to understand what that what that is. What is the thing that both uh, MetaMask and MyCrypto are super aligned on, and how is that going to guide the product moving forward? Yeah, I think that for the, I think both me and Dan have sort of undergone a, I don't know, an, a transformation and evolution from like the very early days to where we are today. And I think a lot of other people will uh, get there eventually, but it's uh, the wallet is like probably the most key piece of, of infrastructure of product in the entire space. Um, for me, like I was like, yeah, just build a paper wallet generator. Yay. Okay. It's just this thing that uh allows you to sign things like whatever that was sort of my first uh like the first couple of years of building that's what it was like and then in 2017 it turned into like oh okay like the wallet has the ability to protect but everyone else is sort of like driving people into the ecosystem right like everyone else is promoting their icos bringing people in and the wallet is like the sort of the last stop where you know we have this opportunity to save users um and today i realize it's it's like the wallet is not only the last stop or like the last trusted space or the one place where we could save a user from like interacting with a scam or uh, or doing something else, but it also sort of has this responsibility of giving people the power to interact with these things. Um, and because of that, the wallet also has like the ability to abuse that power, 
right? And that's why I think it's really, really important that the people who are building wallets and the teams and, and people who are using wallets all sort of understand just how integral it, it is that, you know, things are built in the correct way, uh, that the focus remains on empowering the user and giving them choice, um, that it does not, uh, you know, we don't go into like censoring transactions or babysitting. Like we actually, we, we really need to educate and empower people. Um, if, if there's any chance that we're going to build like a, a different world, let alone a better world. Um, and Dan understands this, like he's had some blogs out recently where uh, like his response to the, the, the Moxie article was one where I was like, he gets it. <laughs> That's what's in my head that I haven't had a chance to like get out into words yet. Um, and yeah, I think that the next couple of years, I think are going to be increasingly important as well, because um, again, you know, whenever the, the market cycle cycle, it's uh, there's like this flood of users who don't really understand what's happening. They're really, really excited for the potential. And it's during that, uh, the sort of the down periods where, um, people actually understand like the values and understand why this is important. Um, and I think that, yeah, next couple of years are going to be fun ones. The, this is exactly what you said. This entire industry is completely pinned on top of private keys. Private keys are just the, the thing that unlocks everything. First, it unlocks people like being able to hold crypto, but it really does so much more than that, right? And I think people are starting to get an idea of what that means with NFTs, right? Where, you know, these NFTs are starting to become tools of identity, uh, but also the trustless verification of signing private keys can unlock so many new superpowers, which means that all of the superpowers that people are able to access because of private keys all resides inside of the wallet that they choose to use, which gives wallet designers an, an immense amount of responsibility for how they choose to design their systems. And so while I think maybe people coming in from to this industry who are brand new are like, oh yeah, this could be the best wallet ever. They don't understand the magnitude <laughs> of the question that they just asked or the request that they're, that they're making. So um, question, question to you guys is now that you guys have merged, what is in store? Like what comes next? What happens to my crypto? What happens to MetaMask wallet? And is this changing the trajectory of, of MetaMask in any particular way? You want to you do it, Taylor? Or, uh, <laughs> I think it's going to, I mean, we're in the process of merging. So we're, we're like, there are teams are like getting acquainted, getting to know each other, um, finding their place. Um, you know, we're, we're not uh, sunsetting the my crypto products because they're like, total bastions of stability for a lot of people who who need like you know that <laughs> that uh, derivation path that nobody else uses with that <laughs> you know wallet that doesn't support it otherwise uh or you know or just like a million of the other features it provides um but um yeah there's there's a lot of things that that become possible i mean kind of to tie in the last topic it's like being that last bastion of trust for a person when they're interacting with stuff like I sometimes think of us as like, we're like your digital lawyer, like, oh, this is what, this is what that'll mean, you know? And the thing is that the amount of knowledge your ideal lawyer would have is like boundless, you know? So being able to have this expertise, like, you know, we've, we've now got twice as many experts on 1559, you know, we've got uh, twice as many experts on hardware wallets now, um, you know, and, uh, and now we've got experts on uh, built, maintaining a desktop app. Um, so that's, you know, a little bit of a trajectory shifter, uh, for sure. Um, so yeah, yeah. Taylor, yeah. What, what other ones are jumping out at you? 
Um, God, I don't know. It's, been, it's tough because everyone's asking us what we're doing with the products. And we've been so focused on just making sure that the teams are going to be aligned and like that every individual has like uh, a place and like they have, they're empowered to like continue, you know, creating value and more value and that kind of stuff. So on the product end, it's kind of like, uh, it, it just hasn't been our focus, but I think there's some obvious uh, sort of next steps or where we're coming. One is I think that the, the potential for a desktop application with MetaMask is an obvious one. We've been working on, uh, like we have our existing desktop app, but we've also been working on this new uh, sort of very lightweight signer. That's just like the core, uh, I guess the core of a wallet. Um, and we can build that out. Um, and that acts more similar to how MetaMask acts, where you basically have uh, like a website or a DAP that is, is where you're uh, getting the information that you need and you're constructing the transaction. And then the desktop uh, applet, I guess, signer thing that we're, we're building, um, that's just that, that final piece. And so it's responsibility is sort of just this, the, I guess the last mile, right? Where you sign it and you want to know what you're signing. Um, and uh, uh, the desktop just, it enables a lot of, I guess, functionality that, that the browser doesn't. Um, the other thing is, you know, MetaMask has a, a, a list a mile long of things that we can improve upon, things that can be cleaned up. Um, it, it, some of it is, is like indirect response to users and support tickets and that kind of stuff. Uh, some of it is uh, the mile long list of Twitter commentary that floods in literally every single day. Um, and I think it's really important that we, uh, you know, in as the team is scaling up, as the users are just like streaming through the front door, uh, we get better at prioritizing like how all of these different desires um, fit into both the short-term plan and the long-term plan, right? Because we have to balance the bugs and the security issues or the privacy issues with, um, you know, the really influential guy on Twitter who decided that today was the day where he was gonna unleash the, the torrent of complaints onto Dan. Um, and yeah, I think working together on all of these things, it's like, it's not just like new fancy things. It's also just really, really improving what we already have. What about the the branding? What's happening to the my crypto branding? Is my crypto turning into MetaMask, or are we keeping the my crypto branding? What's what's going on there? The I honestly assumed that uh, my crypto, the my crypto brand, would like be slowly phased out in favor of MetaMask, but uh, you can't tweet the word MetaMask right now without being like just having a pile of reply bots on you. Oh my god, yeah. So for the listeners, I tweeted out like the links to this uh, live stream via Twitter and like instantaneously <laughs> seven bots came and said, "Hey, like do you need MetaMask support? Email this scam email or fill Sorry, out the scam you, scam fill out the support form." Yeah, then which obviously is requesting for private keys. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that must be a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we're keeping the MyCrypto brand alive for now because we can still tweet. Oh I, I think we can re reclaim it. I, you know, I mean, part of this is like a symptom of how uh, Twitter works, where it's just like really easy to impersonate anyone. Um, but, you know, we, we've got some ideas for how, how we can continue to combat the fishers. I don't want to like, you know, <laughs> let the fishers get a head start on, on our countermeasures, but it is a cat and mouse game. And, you know, also, you know, we're getting uh, some, some excellent security thinkers at MyCrypto that'll, that'll help us uh, build out better, you know, response and uh, defensive capabilities for our users. So I'm stoked about that too. 
Uh, also, though, you know, it, I, just Taylor, since you bring up, like, I don't know, like, is the brand thrashed? Like, I, or is it the best PR? It's like, it's the word you can't say. I, I don't know. I'm undecided on this. <laughs> it's like, uh, but yeah, it's almost, it's almost uh, become a, a joke. And, and it's almost become like an inoculation where like everybody knows they're like, oh, you said the word. And like, you if you're word. in on that joke, then you're, you're kind of like mentally inoculated against the tactic. And, and so I think there's something healthy going on in the, in the community uh, there. Well, it's crazy. It's like, so you guys have been at this for six years, which is like an absolute, like you are the adults of the space. Okay. A lot of people coming in, like myself included, you know, a little bit um, are still toddlers, you know, and you guys are sort of the adults of the space and uh, MetaMask and my crypto as well. They're no longer kind of, you know, can't be niche products. Right. And we're talking about some serious daily active users. And Dan, I was curious, like, what are the latest MetaMask daily active users, or maybe like monthly active users. I know, we're I, I know the, the monthly is offhand. I don't know the daily is offhand. Tell me the monthly. Oh, oh, actually, I think, so, so uh, sorry, we crossed a big number and we didn't like celebrate it, but we crossed to the 30 million. So we're like 32 million now. Uh, so that's, oh, wow. I didn't know there was a, the audience has mics. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a, to, there's an audience uh, to the left of David. That's just out of camera. You can't see. Uh, yeah. They watch every show live. The talking plants. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, um, and, then, and then daily active, I think we're, we're like eight or nine uh, million, something like that. 30 million. Okay. Yeah. 9 million daily is 30 million monthly. Um, that that's absolutely insane growth. And, and so like, as we, as we turn uh, and talk a little bit about, you know, the future of wallets, I also just want to get us grounded in, in terms of your philosophy of how you think of a wallet and what you build next. Right. And I'm wondering if there's some analogies from the past that we use here. Uh, or what your analogy might be, Dan and Taylor, right? It's like, because there's kind of a question of, is MetaMask going to turn into an ecosystem? What is it going to be? Is it going to be sort of a, is it like a browser? Are you like, is MetaMask Netscape? Is it like Internet Explorer? Yeah. Is it an operating system? Is this like comparing it to Netscape. Linux yeah. or Windows? Okay, so like, what is your analogy for this thing? Or is it a, a totally separate category, something new? Uh, we know it is like Netscape in that it's the first place you send your friends. You get in crypto, like you go to Coinbase, whatever, and then you want to do real crypto stuff. You go get a MetaMask wallet. So, like, what what's the analogy uh, from your perspective? Maybe start with Dan. Okay, uh, so I think that what we are is something like a distributed user agent. So, user agent is the the word that you use for like when a computer is trusted to act on your behalf. So your operating system, you know, you plug in a USB thing, you're trusting the, the computer, the operating system to keep you safe from whatever you just plugged in. Hopefully it's good at that. The truth is, you know, most operating systems, you install an app, it kind of owns you, right? Uh, so they're kind of poor user agents. They're working on it though. Uh, browsers are another user agent. Like it's, it's right there in the HTTP headers is like, you know, it's like user agent string Mozilla, you know, so uh, browsers are, they're keeping you safe from things that you don't trust. But both of those are these kinds of local user agents where you've got some stuff locally on your machine right here and it's controlling the permissions. Now browser, you're loading some remote content and, and you know, you're, you're beaming some info back and forth. So you're, you're getting more distributed, but, but then once we added crypto in, now we've got this kind of agency, this kind of like user decision-making and, and computer power 
that is not on your computer anymore. And it's not on any one person's computer. So it's not suitable for a password. And so you need to be able to make these, you, you need a process on your computer that's able to help you make informed uh, decisions um, for a distributed network. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, basically that. So it's, it's kind of just like an operating system kernel or something. It's like a permissions manager. And uh, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, you think about it first as a wallet. So you're like, it's financial, but I think we've already seen it's, it's way bigger than just finance. You know, it's like people are inventing new, I mean, even if you're just talking about finance, people are inventing new derivatives all the time, but then they're also like voting on stuff. And then they're also like selling art. And then they're like, you know, making, you know, DAOs based on, it's like, so, so the, the metaphor of just money, it doesn't actually hold up for it at all. It's, it's way bigger than that. It's way more general. Um, so it's, it's this kind of distributed authority. Dan, I kind of feel like you're saying Netscape. Like oh. I would still use that one. Like I, it's like I mean, I mean, it is also it's similar. Uh, it, yeah. it's similar. One difference is that we don't provide the window, right? So, uh, ideally, your wallet can let you interact with applications from any host. So, you know, you could, you know, you could sign into a, a native a desktop app using Wallet Connect today, right? And you can you can sign in on a, a yeah to a website. Um, via mobile, I think it's just a matter of time before we're doing like NFC login and stuff like that. Like, I think that the operating system is bigger than a window. It's like literally just like this fabric of digital agreements between us. Um, so, so kind of, but, but it's like the permissions part of, of Netscape kind of, and then just blow that out between all possible ways of interacting with other software. I see. What do you think, Taylor? What would you add to that? Yeah, I think that the reason it's really hard to like come up with a really sort of a one-to-one -one analogy is that uh, one, you you know, the difference between the operating system and the browser historically is uh, there isn't this like financial layer to it and money does change things. Um, the reason that like uh, there are so many scammers and so many people trying to steal your crypto is that uh, it's, it's money, <laughs> like crypto is money. Um, and so that adds like a whole new layer. Um, and then the biggest, uh, I guess, realization that people are probably starting to understand more tangibly today with NFTs and the like is um, what the, the sort of the things that we're interacting with, they are uh, anything, like it's infinite, right? So similar to how like, I guess the browser can access this content or load up this content and that content can be anything, um, the, you know, what MetaMask is interacting with can also be anything. Um, however, it's, it's much more, uh, it's not just content, it's much more personal. So, you know, you could be, uh, in the same way that right now, like you go and you visit a DAP and you send some, uh, you send some ETH somewhere, or you put it over a bridge or you lend it out or whatever it is, um, you're, you're not only like, uh, giving this, this thing control over your finances. Uh, it's also, you know, with NFTs, it's, it's not literally money. It's these, uh, anything from like a JPEG or a collectible or uh, a store value or whatever you want to say, but it could also be like, uh, your identity. Uh, it could be like, uh, uh, your, your like relationships or your personal sort of like network, right. You could be like, uh, uh, sharing little nuggets or the entire sort of your entire social graph with the network, um, uh, access, like 
you know, that could or could not be like mapped to uh, the in real life reality that we live in. Um, there's things that are just like fundamental to our personal being. And so I think when we visit a website, it's a much more passive experience in general. Um, yes, like you can log in and yes, you can like put your name in there and stuff. But um, the wallet is is ultimately going to be, th be a thing where when you sign a transaction, you're giving some piece of yourself, right? Whether that's a piece of your, your financial identity or a piece of your literal finances, all the way to like, yeah, your work identity, your gamer tag, like, you know, or, or your level on that game. Uh, and I think that it's really important for people to understand that um, uh, what exactly this stuff is that, that you're giving permission uh, or the wallet is controlling the permission to, or whatever you want to say, uh, whatever that stuff is, is like whatever people dream up. It could be literally anything. And that's a really uh, mind boggling concept to realize it, as a it, wallet builder. <laughs> it is super mind boggling and the stakes are so much higher. It's almost like as we transition, as humanity transitions into this digital future in the metaverse, right? Your, your ETH address almost becomes like your home address. And like when yeah. you're when you're signing things, you're like inviting someone to come into your home. Like that's how personal this space sort of is. Only it's in the digital world, right? And that's what I think. Like the wallet, as like this analogy to this like thing that's in your pocket that has your like your cash in it, has your credit cards in it, maybe has like your library card in it. I think it's a good first analogy because it is like giving this access to these things. But it really, I like your house analogy because that's what it is, right? It's like everything that you uh, that you are, that you experience, that you have, that you own, that you've borrowed, uh, tokens that represent something that you've borrowed on a different chain, you know, like just, uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot. The, the analogy that, that comes to my mind is a, a Harry Potter Horcrux. Taylor, you said that you, when you sign something, like you give away a piece of yourself. Well, usually we're interacting with contracts that we trust, right? Like I'm okay with me giving a little, uh, giving access to my soul to like Uniswap or something. Like I'll let Uniswap trade my tokens when I press the buttons. But everyone needs to be cognizant that when like they sign a message that they're or and they're or get, they're giving some approval to something somehow somewhere. That approval is to do whatever you're allowing it to do to your wallet which could be anything right so it's it's like you know it's signing away a little bit of yourself saying like i trust you with this uh yeah. please, please don't scam me have you uh, guys ever considered uh calling the uh, proof transaction soul bonding <laughs> <laughs> on soul yeah do you want to bond your soul to uniswap i mean i i like having playful language in there and and it'd be cool if we allowed like theming so that people could like subscribe to like the playful language that appealed to them you, you know because like like let's say if there's a transaction where we're not able to make it coherent you know you might as well be bonding your soul because you're you're taking a total leap of faith on whatever this application is you know and people do that way more often than we're comfortable with and it's like i i think it's one of the most important roles for the wallet is is enabling those like it's, it's like, you know, 90% of interactions are stuff we, we get. It's like, oh, token transfers, bidding on an NFT, yada, yada. It's like, what, you know, but then there's that, that, those latest things. And those are the exciting things. And we need like pioneers to like, yeah, basically leap their soul into these abysses <laughs> and, and then let us know if it hurt. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, 
Yo, was that the, mushroom poisonous? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, we're like we're at the like eating poisonous mushrooms phase of uh, <laughs> trying out wallet, contracts. Wallet yeah. development. I'm loving the analogies for this episode. <laughs> Guys, that we want to uh, get into a lot of like the product roadmap and trajectories of, of the ecosystem as a whole, but uh, just a few more details on the merger. Uh, after the this merger is completed and the teams have cohered, how big will MetaMask be? How many like employees are we talking about right now? Uh, it's it's uh, we just crossed over fifty. Wow! Wow! Yeah! Yeah! Nice. Yeah! Yeah! Nice. yeah. I, mean, I was thinking, between, yeah, a lot of roles. Yeah. But, but there's like, yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, that's like security, that's like internal tools, that's like, you know, uh, it's between mobile and extension and the shared libraries and our snaps initiative, you know, but uh, yeah, but you so, still have, so that's the core MetaMask team, right? And then there's also, I think people don't really understand the structure because I didn't understand the structure, but you also have uh, customer support, which is sort of its own uh, adjacent. It's like a Venn diagram. There's overlap, but it's it's sort of managed in its own way, which is uh, really efficient and nice and also creates some problems. Uh, and then there's also like Codify that is, again, its own little team, right? Like Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're working on uh, a lot of different kinds of just ecosystem enhancing features like the swaps feature in MetaMask. And uh, yeah. so it's like another group in consensus that we just collaborate really closely with and like increasingly is becoming like, you know, a proper part of the team. Uh, like we think of them as one, uh, but we don't count them in our head count. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I was gonna say is that the head count is weird because uh, the reality is that there aren't these like very hard lines in the sand between say MetaMask, Codify and support. Uh, however, if you look at the, the uh, I don't know, the HR documents, uh, there is a very hard line in the sand. So. It's, uh, I haven't gotten my head around how big it is now. It's kind of insane. Yeah. And uh, this you, question- you Adapt developers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. This next question, I think came from Tim Bako, might've come from Danny Ryan. Sorry to whoever asked it on Twitter. Um, but my crypto uses an open source license, but MetaMask uses a proprietary one. Uh, so does that mean that my crypto's license is changing or what's going on with that? Yeah, I can figure this out. Does, does it mean that? No. Uh, I don't know that offhand. It, it might mean that, or we can figure out an exception for it. Uh, I think we haven't had that conversation yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so just like a comment on a uh, MetaMask license is like, like we, we want to be as, as open as possible. I think when we, when we closed down our license, it was partly because we were about to release our first monetization strategy and we were getting forked upstream of our own product, meaning we were being competed by with by a platform that could uh, distribute us before we could get to our customers. So we were nervous that we just wouldn't even get a chance to uh, to make any revenue at all. Um, if we come up with any way or any agreement with like the distribution channels, I think we'd be really excited and eager to just like drop the license again. I think I think long term uh, intellectual property licenses aren't going to succeed just because the internet makes everything just so easy to copy. And I mean, the source code's open. You can you can copy it and distribute it on your own if you wanted to. You know, it's very easy to violate the license. I just can't advise that. You know, um, but uh, but you know, like I I think that long term we're trying to make tools that, that enable building new social constructs that facilitate uh, yeah new new ways of make, making money and new ways of doing business. And yeah, sorry, sometimes we uh, haven't innovated in the social layer before our technological layer, like 
required revenue and stuff. So I think it's kind of like a first mover disadvantage in a way, because like, you know, like, of course, MetaMask wanted to be a DAO when we started, but there were no wallets to build a DAO with yet. <laughs> so we like had to do the traditional route. Um, but, you know, I think we've got support from consensus to like try to, you know, we, we know that, you know, exit to community is a hard road or whatever, but I, I believe that we have desire to, and it's, it's really a matter of like figuring out the path. Um, so, so yeah, people who think about exiting the community, who think about new ways of running businesses, keep those ideas flowing because I think, you know, they're going to be the foundation of like everything in the future. Well, exit. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Taylor. Sorry. I just want to add on a little bit of context, like, uh, MetaMask is really the first wallet that is actually like uh, successfully monetized period. And I think that it's really easy for people to, uh, especially with the consensus name as well, like look at it as, uh, I don't know, like this traditional thing or this big bad corporate dude in the room or like, oh, they have so much money, what are they doing? Like that, those types of ideas. But I think it's, it's important to realize that one, um, wallets historically have not monetized at all. And if they have, it's been basically um, acquiring users to push those users to a secondary product. Um, so like one of the older, oldest, probably Bitcoin wallets, blockchain, their revenue doesn't come from their wallet. Their revenue came from their block explorer, right? And the advertisements that were served there and stuff. And the wallet was just a, uh, wow. yeah, it was a user acquisition tool to push towards the block explorer and also towards um, later on, like lending just an OTCS and stuff. So for MetaMask to do this as a wallet uh, and to monetize, I think is an important uh, thing for the industry because as we discussed, the wallet is so, so, so important and key. Um, and it's important that's aligned with users, not that it's just a user acquisition tool for something else. Um, and I think that uh, now we will see in the next coming years, we've already seen it a little bit, uh, now other wallets can can raise money on MetaMask numbers, right? And say, this is the path. And if we get this many users, this is a, a sense of like the money and the revenue that we can do and they can raise money. And that's better for everyone in this ecosystem. I want to just like underline that point and then we're going to have to, uh, you know, cut, cut to sponsors, but maybe like tease the next. When you guys say like, basically in 2021, wallets and MetaMask got its business model. And prior to 2021, it felt like wallets were a public good and suffered from the public good problem of being underfunded, yet like you guys were taking on so much support for the industry. Now you have a business model and that thing is cranking. How do we know this? Because we can see the revenue flows on chains. We're talking uh, cumulative $300 million collected in fees since inception. I can look at that on Dune Analytics and we might after the break. So we'll cover that in a little bit when we come back. David, and I think you've got some other things to cover too, right? Oh gosh, we have actually saved some of the, the best questions for the second half, uh, including like, well, after swaps features, what feature comes next? Because I've got some ideas, especially mm -hmm. in the world of uh, many, many layer twos and bridges. Uh, perhaps a bridge mm -hmm. feature is coming, maybe. I would, I would like to pick your guys' brain on that we have a question from vitalik about light clients and we have other questions about social recovery uh and just other things of that nature so we're going to ask uh all of those questions which is going to be super super exciting right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible when you shop for plane tickets you probably use kayak expedia or google to compare ticket prices so why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto 
When you make your trades, you wanna make sure you're getting the best possible price on your trade. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your trade across all the various liquidity sources in Ethereum. And is also operational on Polygon, Avalanche, Binance Smart Chain, and other chains. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pools the liquidity for me in a single easy to use platform and allows me to make limit on-chain orders. So you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. The Gemini exchange has been my exchange of choice ever since I got into crypto. I use Gemini to both buy the dips and also manage my regular automatic monthly purchases of my preferred crypto asset. On Gemini, you'll find over 50 different cryptos, including many of the top DeFi and metaverse tokens like Wi-Fi and Axie Infinity. Using Gemini Earn, you can earn yield on your various cryptos, including 8% on the GUSD stablecoin. Gemini is available in all 50 states and more than 50 countries worldwide. So if you're looking to upgrade your crypto exchange, sign up at Gemini with Gemini.com slash GoBankless and get $15 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within the first 30 days. That's Gemini.com slash GoBankless. Bankless is proud to be sponsored by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum that lets you trade any token at the current market price. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. The Uniswap Grants Program is accepting applications for grants. Do you have something of value that you think you want to contribute to the Uniswap ecosystem? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at uniswapgrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the MetaMask team. And uh, as we alluded to right before the sponsor break, uh, the MetaMask swap feature has generated millions of dollars, almost 300, I think actually over $300 million since inception, which is fantastic. Uh, and so Dan and, and Taylor, what are the next big products coming out of MetaMask? Uh, is what, What's going to follow a $300 million uh, revenue inside of like three or four months or however long it's been introduced? What, what comes after swaps? First off, I'll just say to Taylor's uh, last point, like we're not going to go the point, the the direction of uh, pushing people to ads, because I think that like a, a wallet's responsibility is to not influence people's buying decisions. And so one thing I think we've always been really, really like strong minded about is like we're trying to make product decisions that empower users to be making informed decisions, but are not like influencing them are not like facilitating dopamine rushes and addictions towards like, you know, compulsive trading or anything like that. Like it took a long time for us to figure out swaps designs where we felt like it was ethical. Um, That's very web three of you, by the way, Dan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very thanks. true ethos. Now, now if we, if we do swaps and we've, uh, or sorry, uh, bridges and we have experimented and we had an internal hackathon and we have like a basic one, you know, we had a basic, you know, hackathon level one working, um, but if we want to do that, like we want it to be resilient. And a lot of times that would mean like not relying on just one bridge, perhaps like so. So I think one way we're thinking about it is how can we make either an aggregation of bridges or uh, make it user extensible or something? Um, people who know a lot of our past product direction, like know that pretty big fans of extensibility, like like the only way we're going to explode as you know with as much ingenuity as the community has is if we let people just kind of add to the the options in real time um 
So, so I, I do think bridging is a super legitimate case because it's just one of those things where the user shouldn't have to think about it at all. Like at the end of the day, like you should not have to care about whether you're on layer two or not. Like maybe when you're first getting in, knowing the risks of where you're keeping your money, maybe that's like worth having, but then beyond that, it's just like having it, right? Um, so bridging, bridging is credible. Maybe ag you know aggregated yields or, or you know lending or something like that. Um, things where we can help people like choose from a lot of options. Those are those are on the table, but um, but they're like going to be supplementary to the core product, which is like helping people interact with new stuff, use DAFs, and help other people be creative. So there are tons and tons of bridges out there. We had like a panel that had like five of them on on for just a layer two bridging conversation, and then there's also a, a pretty strong handful of bridge aggregators as well that are just mm -hmm. aggregating the bridges. Um, and now that MetaMask has this insane amount of revenue coming in via the swaps feature and this pretty healthy uh, treasury, is there a world where MetaMask just buys an aggregator and just injects it right into the app? Hmm. Uh, hmm. Uh, any bridge aggregators uh, watching, uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, I have a follow-up on that. So on, on the on the subject of bridging, right? So this is also where we get into, you know, some education territory or like some risk management mm -hmm. territory, okay? Because like, obviously we just came off of last week. Feels like it was months ago. Last week, there was a $300 million, something in that range, bridge hack on the Solana wormhole bridge. And so uh, part of our discussion in the bridge panel was like, hey, there are all of these different bridges, but users don't know which bridges carry, um, like what degree of risk. Taylor, do you have any thoughts on that? As somebody who's been like educating user interfaces in the space, you know, for six years, how do we deal with something like that? How do you t communicate to a user the risk level of the bridge that they're about to uh, cross? Yeah, that is, that's the big question. And it's not just about bridges. It's not just about like, uh, I guess like, educating people about where their money is, this applies to basically everything that the user is doing. Um, and one of the, the things that I have been thinking very deeply about for years now is how do we empower each individual user um, as like that individual person that they are so that they can make an informed decision and actually give informed consent to the applications or the protocols that they're, they're interacting with. Um, because one of the most challenging things as a wallet is like, we have people who are brand spanking new. We have people who are, uh, yeah, who don't speak English, who are in, in countries that I've never heard of. We have, uh, and then we have all the way up to like the most experienced people and like Vitalik is, you know, like that, that's a crazy sort of spread of demographics. Um, and so when we're thinking about bridges or we're thinking about features in general, um, it's all about giving the user the ability to understand the right choice so that they can make it for themselves because we can't know what uh, what an individual user's risk tolerance is. Um, and one of the explorations that I did, I think last year uh, with design was like, can we have like a like a risk mode, like wrecked that our advanced users can like turn on, right? Where they're like, <laughs> yeah, just give it all, give it all to me, give me all the most like cutting edge fun stuff, like, uh, would that be a feasible sort of uh, thing that people would would find valuable? Um, and the answer is like, well, they'll probably get wrecked, so maybe not. But but it did sort of unlock this uh, this pattern of thinking where uh, we just we can't know 
what the user, like what their risk tolerance is. We can't know if this, uh, like the account that they have in their MetaMask, is that all of their money? Or have they over-invested? Have they overextended their personal situation? And that's that's their entire thing? Or is this, uh, you know, one one thousandth of what they hold on just Ethereum? You know, and they also have assets spread out everywhere else. And so those are the sorts of uh, things we're thinking about. Uh, I think it applies to bridges, it applies to signing transactions, right? So we've been working really hard, both of, both of our teams separately have been working really hard on uh, getting people more insight into their transactions. Um, and that's that, uh, yeah, that will only carry us forward uh, as we see more and more of, uh, as we see the technology just being built faster, right? Like it's insane that in what, three, four years, we've gone from like, uh, we've gone from like, I think Vitalik after the DAO is like, don't put more than $10 million in a smart contract. And now there's like billions and billions, <laughs> and billions in a single smart contract just sitting there. Like it's, it's absurd, it's insane. I would imagine spanning the gamut between like allowing and enabling somebody's grandmother to use crypto is, and also at the same time enabling Vitalik Buterin to also use crypto, having to span both <laughs> of those things. Uh, it's a tall order. Um, and one of the things that we are about to span right now are all the chains. Um, and yeah. right right now, all the layer twos have this nice, fantastic drop down menu where you can go down and just in MetaMask, put down the drop down menu and select your new layer two. Um, is that the final form of what a layer two MetaMask looks like? Or as we go through this great layer two migration, how is MetaMask going to adapt and, and change to live uh, to allow users, enable users to be living this many, many multi-chain world? Yeah, we've been, we've been thinking about it uh, a lot for a long time. And uh, we've finally got like some... I think really strong designs that we really love that we think are going to carry us well into the multi-chain world where, um, yeah, you should be able to see all your assets uh, in one place and yeah, possibly all your accounts if you want to look at all your accounts at once and uh, even different types, hardware wallets, contract accounts, um, you know, on, on their various chains. Uh, but like distinguishing visually when those accounts are a different type or if those assets are on a different chain or if like, you know, if you you can't just roll together like ETH and Solana ETH and expect that to be a good long-term UX. That's that's the kind of thing where, oh, it's gonna look like the best UX at first. And and I could totally see people being like, oh, why don't you do that? Like this wallet shows those as the same asset, right? And then you get half wrecked and you're like, you know, and that's one of those learning moments. Um, but but I do I do think that there's a, a path to letting people make that choice themselves. So like we we've got the idea of um you know, you should be able to still have a portfolio of you. And if you want to deliberately treat things as one asset, like, like you should be able to also. Um, so um, yeah, yeah. The, the network dropdown menu is basically like a legacy design thing. It was, it's practically left over from a time that I feel like we started and thought Ethereum would just carry everything. And, you know, that is just so, <laughs> so long gone that, um, you know, we, you know, I think we did a great job of, you know, kind of coming up with the compromises that built on top of what we have, coming up with like an API for adding new networks to your menu. And that's that's good enough to carry us for a little while. And, you know, it's like, like most of our usage today is not, on, you know, is on non-Ethereum networks. So so clearly it's like working as like a monkey patch, but for the that full future where we're just like 
swimming in you know various types of digital authority from various sources like yeah it'd be cool if you have like an asset manager that just kind of gracefully handles all of it for you is there is there a world where metamask uh expands beyond evm chains and starts to talk to other blockchains that, uh like solana or um uh terra or anything that d doesn't run on on an evm well, I mean, these days, just to be an Ethereum wallet means running some non-EVM stuff, right? Like from like Fuel Labs' rollups to, I mean, even really Starkware and, and ZK Sync, while they're, they're getting like, you know, uh, let's say very close to, you know, you can compile your solidity to them. They're, they're not true EVM machines. So supporting Ethereum L2s requires us being dynamic enough to support like arbitrary execution environments. And so, yeah, we're, we're working on our, uh, we've got our extensibility system snaps in now a totally public auto updating beta called Flask. So developers can play with that. And yeah, you can, you can build the beginnings of a Solana support for MetaMask today uh, if you wanted to. Um, now it's, it's gonna be a little while longer. We're refining a lot of those APIs to make them integrate smoothly into the UI. Like right now they don't actually add a, uh, much UI. They, they give you the ability to add an API to websites. So you can kind of start with dApps and prompt the user for consent, um, which is like kind of our core, our core job is like talk to dApps and get consent from the user and then interact with private keys. And so that's what Snaps can do today, but it's gonna keep on integrating more and more deeply with the wallet. And long-term, I, I think that uh, our support for all chains is gonna be pretty much equivalent. And it's just gonna be like your wallet is this like, you know, it's like your collection of the chains that you subscribe to the accounts you keep on those and the assets that they contain. And then uh, this next question comes from a uh, uh, Polynaya. Uh, any social recovery uh, features coming in the future, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, social recovery is, it's been like one of those things where for so long it, I remember it went like at the UX summit in Toronto in like 2017, people were like saying that research showed people will never accept social recovery. But so I'm super grateful to, to wallets like Argent who are like validating it. Um, yeah. and, and I, but I think that the design space for user consensual recovery mechanisms is actually huge. And so that's again, a reason that I'm excited about building an extensibility system because we're gonna build a system where you can add arbitrary smart contracts. Now, average person isn't gonna onboard and then start picking out plugins. So there's gonna be an important phase where we like choose validated solutions and recommend them to people. And, and I think there's like a really important responsibility for like stepping users through like what their risk preference is. Like, you know, hey, do you happen to have a perfect memory? <laughs> well, have I got a solution for you? You know, or, or do you have some friends you can trust? But, you know, not everybody even has those things. Um, you know, so, so social recovery as an, is an excellent tool. I don't think it's a cure-all, um, but I think that it like points at like a, a much better direction long-term for all sorts of wallets. And then... Sorry, Taylor, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, I was. I, I just wanted to say one thing. Sorry, uh, is would the possible flow, Dan, be like? Let's say you're 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 setting up uh, MetaMask for the first time. You get your seed phrase, that sort of thing, and then there's some kind of a button which is like, oh, here's you know third party smart contract that's you know semi trusted, but it could be a list, it could be one, it could be multiple, where you can activate social recovery. Not necessarily something that MetaMask builds, but these third parties kind of extend or snap into the metamask ecosystem is that right these third parties you know smart i'm contacts. saying what i'm saying is that when we're ready you won't even need to back up your seed phrase in the first place well yeah. i mean i like my, my point is just like well during onboarding we should be able to give people options right 
the seed phrase is the secret recovery phrase. Sorry, uh, is uh, we're, we're trying to normalize that because <laughs> understand what the heck seed phrase means. Um, uh, depending on people's risk preferences, if people are willing to keep a secret, maybe uh, the secret recovery phrase is the right solution. But if they're going social recovery right off the bat, they're like, oh yeah, no, I've got three friends who are crypto, mm -hmm. you know, natives, and they all have their accounts backed up. So I trust them, mm -hmm. and I trust their ability to have their accounts backed up. If we can establish that then yeah, we don't need you memorizing keys. We just need to know who your friends are. Um, so, so yeah, like I think, I think that like collaborating with the user to figure out the best solution for them is probably the long-term uh, answer. Yeah, and I think uh, to provide a little bit more context about basically everything that Dan says, uh, Dan doesn't, isn't thinking about like what the experience is today and what the experience is tomorrow, right? So like when we think about like, okay, social recovery is a thing. So MetaMask can add an option to this one view that exists today so that the user can have a choice. Uh, no, no, we're talking about like, there's a multitude of ways to access your account. One of them is the secret recovery phrase. One of them is social recovery, but there's also uh a whole bunch of current technologies and future technologies that are coming down the pipeline that will uh, enable people to access uh, or sign transactions, right? Not even access secrets, just sign transactions. So uh, uh, what Dan wants to sort of set up is not uh, specifically putting social recovery in that one view of MetaMask, but enabling uh, an extensible system where uh, anyone who builds something that's worthwhile can add it to MetaMask. And then anyone who uh, finds that thing to be valuable, whether it's uh, like a safety thing or whether it's an accessing a new experimental high risk uh, DeFi thing, uh, they'll be able to do so. And as the individual, they'll be able to access these different things. And that doesn't necessarily uh, impact every MetaMask user, right? When we're talking about 30 million users, like it's a big decision to add a single bridge, right? The consideration is not just like, is this risky or not? The consideration is also like, um, you know, what, what does it mean for MetaMask to put that in and uh, support their development? It also means, what does it mean to, to essentially vouch for them and their credibility? Um, and the same applies to not just bridges, to everything. So by uh, sort of decentralizing the, uh, like the very feature set, and also making MetaMask this sort of core element in which every user has their individual sort of like set of things. Um, that is, that's where like, that's where we're headed. We're not just like trying to add social recovery, you know what I mean? And it's not gonna be a short path. It's a, it's a long-term vision, but it it's like, really exciting. It sounds like Netscape is getting extensions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're getting there. And and one other just an example of how like the design space like goes way beyond even social recovery accounts is like not all things even fit the account paradigm. So like take the tornado cash voucher, for example, you go to tor tornado cash, you deposit some ETH, and then you get a new secret to keep track of. And it's like, right now, what do you do with that? You like- Save it to desktop. <laughs> yeah, save it to desktop. Like, I don't know, like it's like your wallet's keeping a little encrypted vault, you know, I have password manager is probably a better solution for now, but like like being able to just hold all your digital assets, like irregardless mm -hmm. of like how they're controlled is like, I think a, a long-term really, really strong, uh, sh you know, guiding light for us. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, one more uh, question before the fun one that everyone wants us to ask, which I think people will know is coming, is that this one's from Vitalik Buterin, so you know it's a good one. Uh, when light client verification for MetaMask? Yeah, yeah, really. It's been such a really long dream. And, uh, you know, we had a project called Mustakala, and we had, we had a small team working on it back in the MetaMask as a public goods that is underfunded days. And they were, you know, it probably should have been a, you know, 20-person team, but it was three people. And they, they were stretched very thin. And so we we did not uh, achieve that goal, but a lot of those people went on to bigger teams and started working on those bigger clients. And uh, you know, so some of those ideas went into TurboGath. Some of those ideas are, are going into Laconic that should be uh, launching soon. Um, I, we're, I'm super eager for those. Uh, the truth is that our team isn't really working on like protocol development. So we're kind of like, hey, you know, you you tell us, you know, like I, I think we're incredibly eager to to support whatever options. Uh, users could want. And especially once we have like, let's say a desktop client, being able to like mm -hmm. let a user turn on various types of clients will be a real option for us. Um, can can, I, can yeah. we can we just uh, zoom out for a minute? Because um, we asked that in uh, protocol researcher Vitalik language when like client verification, but I want to zoom out for so everyone understands they, they might've heard this as like, there's kind of a MetaMask dependency on Infura for instance, or yes. like third parties to serve the chain. And if these API services go down, then we can't use MetaMask, that, that sort of thing. That's what Vitalik yeah. means by light client yeah. verification. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a way because because today, if you want to run a Ethereum client and like not have to trust Infura for your data, you have to run this much more heavyweight process, right? The Ethereum protocol, I think, was designed to take up a whole personal computer. So the average person is not running that on their phone. And so, yeah, plugging into Infura or some you know centrally hosted thing ends up being the norm. Uh, light clients imply that there's a lighter process that the user might keep on their device, you know, their laptop, phone, desktop, whatever. That might just be a little more practical. Um, you know, a, a thing though is you know MetaMask does let you connect to any source of information even today. So if there were a viable light client today, a per, you know, please ship it as a desktop app write a simple guide to how to point MetaMask to it, we could be doing it already. Um, of course, if that gets validated, we'll be very eager to fold it into the product. Um, but but yeah, like like we we are not really doing that protocol development in-house uh, presently. So we're really counting on and hoping for people working on, you know, uh, stateless client design and, and stuff like that and, and very, very eager for it to come along. Guys, this has been... Uh... A lot of fun, absolutely fantastic to to have you both on. Really excited about the merger and how many more millions of monthly active users we can onboard to crypto and onboard to to Web three. That's that's what this is all about. And I wish I could blame this uh, last question on the chat. Maybe, I'm sure they've asked, but oh, the secret have. is David and I really wanted to to ask as well. And I feel like this is fair game, Dan, because you you, you mentioned the term exit to community. So we got to ask when mask token. Mm -hmm. Is that a thing? Is that coming? Is there anything you can say about that? Um, I can probably say that it's not enough of a thing that you should be getting excited about it right now. <laughs> okay. um, yes, it's that. Do not change your behavior because someone on the internet told yeah. you there's a mass token. Yeah. Okay. If if some new account messages you and lets you know about the upcoming airdrop, they're probably lying. Um, we, we've got we've got ideas for tokens, and you know, and we're we've got permission to explore those ideas. But you know, the truth is, like like we were saying about you know, our job is to keep users safe. So when we endorse something, like 
it it has the potential to just absolutely undermine all of our credibility. So like we're gonna if we do anything, we're gonna do it because we got it right. Um, you know, and a lot of the utility, you know, a lot of the token ideas we have, they might not be the things that people would be excited about. You know, I think people would be excited yeah. to just get an airdrop in their wallet. Well, you know, like I said on a recent interview, like unfortunately we've done okay at keeping our users private. So we actually don't know who our, all our users are. Um, you know, there are things we could do, you know, there, there, you know, but those things become gameable. As soon as people circulate, they're like, just use swaps a lot. It's like, okay, well, if we're trying to do a fair drop, we're not going to over rely on that. You know, we're, we're not trying to pick something that you can game. Um, so, you know, just make responsible decisions uh, for yourself. And we, if we choose to do any token to enable our product, we'll get it to you in the most responsible way possible. Don't try to game it. Don't try to, don't trust links sent to you on Twitter. Um, just like yeah. let it be yeah. a surprise when it <laughs> unexpectedly happens in the very distant future. Very it sounds like <laughs> Taylor's really like, oh, pump the brakes, guys. Uh, so it sounds like you guys are approaching the token with the way that you approach everything else, uh, every other feature about MetaMask, which is with caution, with patience, and with saying no before you say yes. So it sounds like you guys are into the concept or possibility of a token and are ready to say yes to it if the, if the idea is right. And if you guys discover the optimum use case in a way that aligns with you guys' ethos and treats your guys' users the way that you want to treat them. A alleged token. Alleged token. Alleged, alleged token. token. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think, yeah, that, that's probably the most fair take. I just want to emphasize, like, uh, not only do we have, like, pretty severe PTSD from years of people uh, 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 making empty promises in return for tokens that then end up users of our products and emailing our supports, right? Like, not only that. But we've also seen like the variety of ways that uh, incentives can just like kind of muck everything up and and end up, uh, I guess, more exploitative than than uh, empowering. And so when I think about like a token, when I think about, uh, I guess, the goal of all of this, right, uh, I think about how will this improve the user's life, like an individual user's life? And I got that doing an airdrop improves everyone's life, you know, dropping free money on people's faces. But, you know, it's uh, it's got to be fair. Uh, I think it's got to be empowering. Um, and I think it really has to be careful about the incentives that that we create. We don't want to create an incentive to uh, say, uh, you know, a third party, an outside malicious person. We don't want to create that incentive for them to, to attack every MetaMask user. Right. And we don't necessarily even want to uh, like kind of put every MetaMask user on blast by saying, hey, there's a MetaMask user, go get them. And so these are all the sort of concerns that we have. Um, and I think that lastly, I just want to comment that uh, some of the most important people, I guess, uh, in this space to MetaMask as a product are not uh, necessarily the users, like they're there who get the most attention, but DAP developers are probably like, uh, insanely important um and it's it's because there is something to do on ethereum that metamask has the users it does uh and it's also because there's things to do on ethereum that users have things to do right and money to make and games to play so um how i'm sort of like looking at the different potentials and and uh thinking about this is like you have these distinct groups and they all interact in certain ways 
how can we create something that empowers all of them and makes all of them better um, and also like funds good things coming forward, right? Not just dropping free money, but actually, uh, I don't know, incentivizing good building and best practices. Well, there you go, guys. Uh, no mass token to announce today. Of course, maybe it's on the distant horizon. We don't know. But if MetaMask does it, uh, they're going to do it right is the comment. Maybe it's outside. And hopefully the, they'll the do Halo. a live stream with us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Come back on that day if, if such a day were to occur in the future. Anyway, guys, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for talking about wallets with us. Such an important application uh, for crypto. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Also, uh, we forgot. Uh, if you want to work for us, because we're like always hiring, please like get in me or Dan's DMs because uh, we're growing our team like a lot, a lot, a lot, uh, especially security and uh, DevRel marketing communications people. As we say so yeah. often in, in crypto, get a job in crypto. Good 2022 job. should be the year you get a job in crypto. Like we have sustainable business models, okay? like we have recurring revenue uh get a job so uh we will link to you taylor and dan's twitter accounts and uh hopefully you get some interested applications in your dms of course guys risks and disclaimers none of this has been financial advice this entire journey is risky eth is risky bitcoin is DeFi is you can definitely lose what you put in but we are headed west this is the frontier it's not for everyone but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey thanks a lot